1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Episode 8 of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham, and I'm sitting here alongside Mr. John Hoover, fresh from Lincoln Riley's press conference today on Tuesday, as opposed to Monday, but OU played football on Sunday, so things are a little different. And Mr. Rufus, Rufus Alexander, of course. Uh, guys, what a weird um, what a weird last few days, just because yesterday I thought all day long it was Sunday. It just felt so odd. You know, oh, you had just played uh, the day before, and I'm thinking, okay, it's Sunday, whatever. And then, oh, the trash was due out today <laughs> on Tuesdays in my neighborhood. So I missed that one out, and that's my bad. But guys, um, really quick, I wanted to go over some um, the things that, I actually brought up to you guys um, on the pregame show. Um, so I'll start with Rufus. Uh, Rufus, when I asked you about three things you wanted to see on the defensive side of the ball, um, you told me you wanted to see assignment football, uh, competing, and the guys competing on every play, and then the technique in the secondary. And in my opinion, those three things, they could I could say that um, there was a passing grade, but I just wanted to get a little bit more in-depth on how you viewed those three things. Effort-wise, I give him an A on the effort. I mean, as far as what we've seen for the past two years, uh, could it be better? I'm sure there's going to be plays where it could be better. But, man, they put a lot of bodies out there. Uh, they stayed fresh the whole, pretty much the whole entire game. Um, I mean, they they announced so many names to where it was hard for you not to be fresh. 26 players on defense, I, I believe, is, yeah. what, is what went out there, yeah. And so they had like a little routine going. If they took you on a really deep route, they would take that corner out, put another corner in. So you, you can see what, what they're trying to do as well. Um, Assignment-wise, um, you would like for those guys to be more in their gap, um, in their gaps, to be able to set the edge a little bit better than what they did. Because in the second half, they wasn't setting the edge, and Houston started getting some really good gains because it was getting the ball to the outside and wasn't setting the edge. Um, and those are some things that coaching wise, they'll they'll take care of. Earlier in the game, Jalen Redman, you know, getting in his first game, got real heavy on the guard and missed a little stunt where he was supposed to come to the outside. So the so the uh, the King gets out of there and gets a big gang early on in the game as well. Uh, you have two guys that go in there for a tackle and both of them whiff on it on the big third down. So, you know, you got those things that you can correct and they didn't get a turnover. So that's a little disappointing. You kind of as a defense, you want to. You want to get the turnovers and thing, but for the most part, I give them a C plus for this game, or maybe almost just a regular, just a C, because um, there's a lot of improvement that can happen. Um, they get they this had some bad penalties and stuff as well, but I mean the game uh, in its entirety was was pretty good. I mean they were up what was it seventeen to forty two? It was forty two seventeen at the 17. beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you kind of. They started putting in younger guys, and they kind of took their foot off the pedal at that point in time, which you don't want nobody to go out there that's uh, of significance to your defense and get hurt. So you start putting other guys out there and started, you know, start developing your young guys, which those are the things that OU hadn't been able to do early in the season because it was then there in a shootout every game, trying to finish games and get guys better. Um, so it was good to see other guys get out there, and they starting the development part of it early. And it's a good thing for those young guys. You get to see yourself on film, and the game is not moving 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and just going back to uh, 26 players that uh, participated in the game on defense, and it really goes back to what we've kind of heard uh, Alex Grinch talk about over the last few weeks, few months, about trying to find twenty, like his 22 guys. Um, you, you need depth, and everybody knows that the, t- the talent that OU has and probably doesn't have or they necessarily want to be as a complete football team, but manufacturing depth you know as a fan I really appreciated seeing just a lot of guys out there because you know as great as Neville Gallimore can be individually as great as Kenneth Murray can be individually um, you need to have guys be able to spell them and guys that you can that you can uh, believe in when you have to throw them out there for whatever reason because if Neville Gallimore has a bum ankle it would be a complete and utter shame if that just completely ruins the the, uh, defensive game plan for Oklahoma in that particular game but uh, John just 
just from your thoughts, you know, when you're, you know, you're sitting up at the press box during that game, was it a little kind of overwhelming just going, all right, who, who just switched? Who, who's in, who's in the oar now? Like mm-hmm. what's going on right now? Yeah. 20 oars. I looked on the depth chart again today. I don't know if Mike got a chance to uh, update anything with just one day in between, but still today's depth chart, 20 guys are listed as oar at their two, at the two deep position. Um, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think the Sooners subbed their first two possessions. I know they no, didn't John know the Michael first. Ter- John, the, how I kind of saw it was John Michael Terry was out there on the first two possessions, and after that, like he was always the, like kind of right. the signal, okay, some, some people have been flipped. More of a rotation at that point. Uh, something else that, uh, that stood out, obviously, Kenneth Mann, not there. Dylan Fama'atau, not there. Um, injured. Uh, and then, and then to on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Stephen Pledger had hand surgery. We did, I don't think we knew that, and Lincoln Riley clarified today. Uh, so that'll hurt, hurt the running back depth a little bit for now. But uh, yeah, the defensive line, those guys without those guys down there, uh, Neville Gallimore had to, had to do a lot of work. I mean, you'd like to pace yourself once the season gets going. He he played like uh, almost two games worth, a game and a half worth, just because of the number of snaps he had to play. Yeah, and well, he did great. He was constantly in the backfield, so kudos to him. Well, and I'll bounce this off to you, Rufus, and then John. You can kind of go um go from there. But I actually really enjoyed how this game was played defensively because it was it was it went as perfectly as it can go. You saw how athletically talented OU's defense is. You, you saw how hard, how hard they can play. You know when the adrenaline is pumping, but like we've kind of said for the last few days, mistakes were made. The adrenaline kind of wore off. Once Houston made adjustments, OU kind of struggled to kind of keep up with them. I mean, they, they it never got interesting by any means, uh, but it very well could have if OU had fumbled the ball again because they had two fumbles. Um, but it, it went about as well as I think it could have gone because they showed what they can do, but there are so, there's so much that uh, needs to be improved because this wasn't going to be... Uh, a night and day fix, you know, game one. This wasn't going to be just over the summer. Everything's going to get figured out. And then in the post game, I really appreciated not just Jalen Hurts, not just Lincoln Riley, but Alex Grinch saying, you know, it's it's absolutely devastating that we didn't get a turnover. So I appreciate that there is a standard now that, um, you know, because I keep thinking back, everybody take a drink. I'm, I'm about to <laughs> mention the Army game. Mike Stoops goes up to the podium after that game and is super excited about what just transpired. He was excited that the team won. Um, if Alex Grinch is coaching that game just after um, his post-game comments um, on Sunday, he would have been pissed off, <laughs> to say the least. But I'm just glad that there's a standard and that there are things on film that these players can now try to learn to improve upon. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I mean, still in, in, in all that happens, man, in playing college football, what I love was the moments that you won games and you can enjoy them as well and learn from the bad stuff that you had in games as well. But, I mean, games I was disappointed about, I could remember. I mean, it, um, it wasn't the Boise State game. I remember Baylor took us to the wire here. I was so disappointed that we are in the dogfight with Baylor. and Because, you know, at that point in time, you figure Baylor is this bottom-of-the-league team, so you should never be in a dogfight with a Baylor. And to me, that was more of a disappointing game or something like that. But for the defense, you know um, – I understand what Grinch is saying because, man, you come in there all all summer long, all spring, all fall, all you talk about is getting turnovers, 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 and you had an opportunity to get, I think was it two or three that they had an opportunity to get. Uh, the interception in the end zone that goes right through uh, Patrick Field's hands and you got the fumble on the ground that uh, Neville Gallimore doesn't get to. Um, so you, you got those things right there where, you know, you got to come up with those two plays. And as a coach, you know, you feel that, you know, you, you kind of fail. You you failed because that's what you preached. And for the players, that got to be a letdown as well um, because those things didn't happen. But still, in all that, you still have to enjoy those times because, I mean, this game is short-lived. It's, I mean, this season going to end in a, in, a, in a snap of a finger. So you got to enjoy those wins as well and, and look at, man, you know, this is where we got to play better and stuff. But you get your 24-hour rule. Um, and that's what that's what Coach Stoops used to say. Hey, you have 24 hours to enjoy your win, and then we get back to work on Monday or Tuesday, and we're gonna break down this film. There's a lot of things that need to be corrected, and then and that's how, that's kind of how you put it in the media, as well. Uh, and that's how Jalen Hurts put it, though. That's what he said. You know, 
Uh, I appreciate what he said as also. And I just uh, guys were talking about on Twitter, Sooner fans that have a problem with it. I don't think anybody has a problem with it. I think you just got to enjoy some of the you kind of want them to lighten up a little bit. Baker Mayfield will do the same thing. Uh, I mean, he'd make light of a moment, but really you can really see the seriousness in his voice. But he would, you know, enjoy that moment because there's 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 pleasure in winning. And then there's also the disappointment in failing at something that, you know, you could have done better at also. But knowing the potential of what you could be is also uh, is there. And you got to be you got to feel excited about it as well. And John, just kind of that same thing, just with uh, Grinch's postgame comments, just the standard that's there and the game, just kind of the performance starts off really great, kind of tampers off, never really gets too far out of hand. There weren't that many big plays for touchdowns given up until the very end, but just your overall thoughts. Yeah, zero net passing yards for the first uh, four possessions of the game, I think, uh, deep into the midway through the second quarter is when they actually made a nine-yard pass that stayed on the board. Uh, I think they had a three and a negative three, so ended up with zero there before that one. But uh, And then things got going. It was it was it was interesting because I asked Alex Grinch after the game or after the game Saturday Sunday night about the um, you know the tendency of maybe this team in the past to give up a play and oh crap not another one and here we go and they go into a shell they go into a cave of despair is what I called it in my column. He said that didn't happen. He said he was pleased with the way guys responded. Now to go back and look at the statistics play by play. You saw a 20-yard run and a 25-yard pass and a 22-yard screen pass and a, uh, you know, it, it began to pile up and and the mistakes, the pet, the the late hit and the hit out of bounds and the the grabbing of the of the jersey and stuff like that and the inability to catch a an interception in the end zone, those mistakes began to pile up. But I think for for the most part, guys on the defense we're talking here responded to the challenge, responded to the adversity, and. Just to pair, uh, to kind of piggyback off of what Rufus was saying earlier about the defensive line, consider that Jalen Redman, who had blood clots in his lungs, which is a near-fatal condition, he's been cleared. I asked Lincoln Riley today after the press conference, hey, is he – thanks to you, because you you texted me during the press conference. Is Has anyone asked about Jalen? I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question, and we should have asked. Because he was really badass on Sunday night. He was so very good. Yeah. A very valuable asset to that defensive line. And so I absolutely, thanks to you, asked the question. Is he good to go? Is Are you monitoring his snaps? Does he have to monitor his workload during the week? Lincoln Riley said, no, he's full go. He's good to go. So uh, easy peasy there, right? Um, and then uh, LaRon Stokes, I thought, played pretty decent. You know, adding depth to the to the defensive end. Rufus, I wanted to ask you. Not to interrupt the flow here, but I wanted to ask. No, no, no go ahead, please. There is no flow. Okay. <laughs> how did you, what did you think of how the what we talked about last week as the two hundred and sixty pound defensive tackles? How did they do? How did they perform? I think they did really well. Um, for because I forget who I think I was talking to Sam. It's not going to be the way they move and shift. What they're trying to do is I'm trying to put my really athletic. 260 pounds pound guy on the worst pass protecting guy in the guard and that's what they were able to do against Houston and that's and that's how you saw them split three at one point in time um but you have that guy on the edge of that tackle has to work has to worry about so that puts him a little bit soft on helping on the Jalen Redmond and Jalen Redmond has a two-way go that's going to be tough for anybody to stop Leron Stokes a very he's a very strong man and I mean he can run uh, the one time when he spied on on King and went out there and, and pushed him out of bounds and was able to get there. But they got up the field. They played with speed, especially when they put a guy on the edge. The guard, that's why the, the pocket collapsed a lot because that guard, I mean, that makes it a little bit wider and easier for that guy to kind of bend the corner a little bit against the guard. And Neville Gallimore was taken up too wherever he was at. So it was uh, very positive to see, and I just figured that's how they were going to approach it. But they had a lot of times where they got pressure with three. With Ronnie, uh, with Ronnie Perkins is a year stronger, a year faster, and you can see the difference in him whenever he comes off the line. Um, and like you said, having Redmond there is a huge plus, and Stokes as well. Those two guys are the ones that rotate with each other, and they both look really good. That was probably one of the more refreshing things to see in that uh, first quarter, maybe early second quarter, where oh, you got pressure with three linemen. They get pressure with three linemen. They, they sent- got pressure with two one time. Yeah. They, but on this particular play, they, they sent Deshaun White kind of on a delayed uh, linebacker blitz on the left side, and they kept I, – I can't remember if it was Kenneth Murray or whoever else was the spy. 
and Derek King had to like avoid that part of the uh, that part part of the field, and the spy just kind of rode him down for like a, maybe a net zero gain. But it was so refreshing to see that because I can't remember the last time OU could consistently do that because. If they had a spy, it was just one spy with no blitzer, and they were just trying to get pressure with their three or four down linemen, and it just would never work. Right. I mean, yeah, that one that one right there, I know you, which one you're talking about. That's the one where uh, John Michael Terry drops out in the flat, and then um, White takes off on a delayed blitz, and then you have, Kyler, um, you have Kenneth Murray sitting there waiting on the spy, and then he can run down on the outside to, you know, kind of clean things up. That was, I mean – they have they had creative ways of doing of getting pressure and how they wanted to do it, sending different linebackers and a lot of what I saw when they was at Washington State just moving the line slanting and sending guys delayed different directions. It, it was a really good defensive uh, display, but what we all what we all saw in the second half, I think, is going to be more of what when teams be able are going to be able to scheme what they're doing. Um, in the second half, you saw a few times they motioned away from Buki and they ran towards him because he's a smaller guy on the end of the line, and they figured an offensive lineman or tight end to swallow him up. So you're going to get better blockers to be on him. So if they're going to put him on an edge, he's going to have to force the edge, in which they struggle with getting the edge in the second half. Um, and so we got to understand that at the beginning, Houston didn't know what to expect with OU as far as what they had on the field and the guys that they had you never really seen those guys play with energy, play fast and move and slant and how good they were going to be and how much pressure one was going to get. Because if you look at last few years, it's like they couldn't get pressure with anybody. So you don't figure, well, ah, Neville Gallimore, I mean, okay, I don't know if he's going to get pressure. Will he be able to do it consistently? Ronnie Perkins, we've seen him come off the edge last year. Can he do it with consistency? I mean, he has some good moments, but he didn't have great moments all the time. So, and then – you get those guys going, and it was like, whoa, they really got some speed. Man, they can really get off the ball. Man, the Redmond kid is really strong. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, now you kind of worry. The first, ple- the first, what was it, three or two or three plays that King had, he rolled out one time, he got smacked, and then yeah. the next time he came out and he scrambled, he got sandwiched in between somebody. So his senses in his head was like, it was a culture shock, really, because it seemed like every time a quarterback was going to leave the pocket last year, he would get like a bit a eight yard yep. chunk play. And on these on this first possession, Derek King like leaves the pocket. At first, I'm just like, oh god, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 oh, oh, okay, okay. And then the other thing, you know, this is kind of a simple observation. More times than not, maybe about ninety percent of the time, it seemed like whenever somebody had somebody squared away. The tackle was made. There wasn't a lot of reaching. There wasn't a lot of arm tackling. Right. There was a lot of sure. Like, okay, you may have got through the first uh, wave of defenders, but the linebacker, the second. Okay, okay. <laughs> that was the yeah. But you know, even though that you hate that I, was the whiff for sure. Even though you hate to see that, I mean, that's that's gonna happen. You're gonna be on an island, and you you have. You have to make a move, but you cannot wait. You got to go and make the tackle because he saw it before the guy caught the ball. He saw it. He okay. has to shoot the leg. He hesitated and waited. He got to shoot the outside leg before he because he saw the guy coming to get the ball swinging out the backfield. He should have done. He didn't shot his. Should have shot his shot. And that's yeah. what they told him on the sideline. I mean, even though they said, "Hey, God, they're gonna make plays or whatever," but that one right there, he should have shot his shot and got the guy. Makes me miss Michael Thompson because he'd do that all the time. <laughs> Another question for Rufus. I wanted to make an observation and then say, and then ask you to follow up on this. You're talking about Derek King leaving the pocket and getting not having success. You're talking about him getting swarmed or swamped or whatever it was. The one play that he rolled to his right and was he he scrambled to his right and was looking for somebody. He's out there. He's kind of slow playing it, and he's jogging about three quarter speed, and he's patting the ball, looking, for, waiting for that receiver to get a little separation. He sees Kenneth Murray coming, and he says, "I got time. I'm I'm Derek King." And by the time he cocked his arm to throw, Kenneth Murray was wrapped around his neck and was taking him to the think, ground. I don't think, and he Kenneth, barely got the pass off. I don't think Kenneth Murray liked Derek King. I don't think so. <laughs> he so, tackled him like he hated Houston, him, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but but I thought that was uh, I thought that was indicative of the new Kenneth Murray and the new attitude on this defense because you you ask Kenneth Murray after the game what happened on that play that was a real dominant kind of game changing type play not changing but it really established what OU wants to do and he said 
to something to the effect, and I'm misquoting him here, so don't ro- roast me over the coals, but something to the effect of, I read something wrong, something else happened, I was, I was uh, on my way to do something, and I realized the quarterback's out there, I might as well go get him. So I went and got him. How proud are you, uh, Rufus, as a former OU linebacker who made plays like that all the time, of Kenneth Murray to make that decision mentally and just go do it? Ooh, I mean, one, you know, if he's missing the assignment, that's not good. But <laughs> for him to have the wherewithal to go ahead and um, force that on the outside, I mean, a lot of times as linebackers, you get in that no man lane. And Coach Venables is like, that. if you're in no man lane, go. Just go and rush. The, you can rush the passer and maybe he'll throw the ball up. Um, Because if you already missed your assignment, you're not going to be able to retrack and go and find the guy that you just end up leaving or anything like that. That, If he's going to throw that, it's going to be wide open. So for him to now have that understanding, you know what, I need to shoot my shot and go and make this play. Um, and for for him, the way he played throughout the game was that way. I mean, he he took he made a bunch of tackles, but the position they got to really fix is the wheel linebacker position is what's really struggling. That position um, with Deshaun White and Ryan Jones, neither one of them separated themselves in his in his game. And we can talk about all the other guys in different areas, but they need to they need to fix the wheel linebacker position because a lot of times in that game they they waited. As blockers were coming to him, they waited. This that's the old way OU used to play. I mean, and that's that's something that they got to break out of that habit and go forward and make tackles. So, I think that's one that's going to be a position that Coach Odom is going to really focus on because um, he's going to have to pick a guy and roll with it because there was a screen pass that was out there. Deshaun White waited. Kenneth Murray had to come and make the tackle for him. I mean, he waited for the guy to come towards him, and Kenneth Murray came shooting in there and made the tackle. Then another time they ran a zone, and he's just sitting in the hole, sitting in the hole, and the guy, he somebody else makes a tackle. Ron Jones waited one time and spun a guy around for like three or four yards forward. You know, you don't want those type of plays. You want to hit in the backfield. And need only seemed like the only guy that was playing downhill was Kenneth Murray. Yeah. Well, I guess before we get to the secondary guys, and I just, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. One of the one of the points of the game that made me, you know, that really surprised me as an OU fan was when Houston eventually scores on this drive. They get down inside the five yard line, and OU forces them into a fourth down situation. Now, the guy who caught the touchdown um, in the sl- that was lined up in the slot actually moved a little early on the snap, so it should have been called for a false start, but it was the play where uh, Derek King throws a fade to the corner, and Jordan Parker's hand is just, if it was just a, if he was an inch taller, he would have just knocked the ball away. Oh, you would have got another turnover on downs, but three consecutive plays, and two of them, um, two of them were runs, I believe, or maybe all three of them were runs, but Derek King took off on one, they handed the ball off to their running back, and oh, you stopped them. And th- that kind of goes into what probably everyone's the most excited about from this defense is just the defensive line, that unit. And they got pressure. They got uh, they they filled up every gap and created so much penetration that Houston could no longer do something that happened every single game last year. When OU would get into short yardage, it was just so easy. You could always like if it was third and short, eh, if if OU's defense is on their like on their own five yard line, up eh, touchdown. Oh, you made them work for it. And I'm sorry if that's kind of a, you know, a moral victory stance that I'm taking. But after watching last year, I mean, that was an improvement that I saw, which they made Houston a a very talented offense. They made them work for it. And they damn near tipped the ball away and forced a turnover on downs in the red zone. So, um, yes, there are a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. And Rufus, you're exactly right. Uh, Ryan Jones, like whatever that is, if oh, you can figure that out, they're pretty they're pretty darn set, you know, especially for a Big 12 conference run. Um, them Texas Iowa State. It's going to be it's going to be a, a battle, of course. But is that silly to have a moral victory stance? <laughs> I mean, like, on oh, the, you talking about just the red zone type possessions I have, late in the game? I have PTS. Uh, I have PTSD from last well, year. <laughs> sure, that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, there were yeah, I thought there were opportunities. First of all, oh, you didn't let anybody in the red zone early in the game. I mean, I thought that was huge. Uh, there were no sixty yard screen passes there was a 23 yard screen pass I think that ended up in the end zone 22 but you know there wasn't it wasn't just an all-out collapse and if you're looking for moral victories uh Houston brought back three of its its top three receivers from last year they brought back a quarterback that accounted for 50 5-0 touchdowns uh they, they brought in a kid that was the starter at Texas for a short while in the backfield I mean 
They have very, very talented up and, and decent up front. Very talented offensively. For Oklahoma to perform like they did, was it perfect? No. Was it good? Yeah, mostly. I think so. And I think that's encouraging because you, you, uh, I don't know about you guys. I, I think there's no question in my mind that I saw significant improvement across the board in the secondary, uh, tackling, gang tackling, you know, swarming to the football, uh, shutting down running lanes, run fits, things like that. Absolutely saw improvement. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there were many moral victories. And, and I'm sure Alex Grinch right now is, is, you know, wringing his hands at practice this very second over exactly what you're talking about. But at the same time, I think Sooner fans can be pretty pleased that this thing is turning up roses right now. Not Maybe not roses, maybe carnations. It's turning up carnations right now. Now the uh, secondary, because Rufus, that, that was one of your points that you were looking forward to in the game um, on Sunday. Secondary technique. I'll say this. Derek King's accuracy was a little disappointing to me. So I don't know if we can sit here and say that, yeah, the secondary performed well because they were tested by a very talented quarterback with very talented receivers. They didn't have a chance to push the ball downfield, one, because the defensive line, like we've been saying, got pressure, and that's the whole point. The secondary doesn't need to be getting tested if the D-line is just in the backfield in less than two seconds. It doesn't matter, but from what we could tell, I mean, other than that Trey Brown, that that debacle of an attempted tackle, um, what what were your thoughts on just the secondary? Uh, Pat Fields, Delarian Turner, Yell at the safety position. Those guys. I mean, Pat Fields and Turner Yell. They played a, a pretty solid game. Um, besides the bad penalties, uh, the one by Pat uh, Fields. You know, Patrick Fields that went out there and, and bumped into the guy. I mean, the guy tried to bump into him. Yeah, and I, thought, kinda, I thought the Houston guy tried to start yeah, that. I thought it was a mutual thing, and then you know Turner Yell come in there and slamming the guy down after the whistle kept blowing and stuff. So. Those two things, you know, those are two kind of bonehead things. I mean, you have a, a missed tackle or miss attempt here and there. But, I mean, overall, what our safeties used to do is let a lot of guys get behind them. Um, these guys weren't letting guys get behind them. And at one time, uh, I think Patrick Fields has kind of made a little pull with the pass interference on the jersey, which is fine. You know, you, if you feel like you're beat, man, hey, look. We're gonna Take lift, the 15. Yes. We're going to lift to play another down. Um, but you don't need to be getting beat in third down. And I think it was because of an inaccurate throw is the reason why, because he was on the top of the route. And with De'Aaron King, De'Aaron King throwing that bad throw, it made the receiver turn and exit off his route. And so he didn't. He was. He got kind of got lost and he reached. So that one's that one right there. You kind of you kind of like ah okay. I understand why he kind of why he did it because it was just kind of a, 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 a kind of weird throw. Um, and then going out of the backfield, you got to they got to be able to play the perimeter a little bit better with the screens and stuff, and be able to come out there and make plays out in the middle of the field. Uh, Turner Yale one time got swallowed up by an offensive lineman. You can't get touched by an offensive lineman if you're a DB in the middle of the field. I mean, hey, look, 300-pound guy, 190-pound guy, don't get, don't let him put his hand on you in the screen game. Sure. Like, you're faster than him, just get around. Yeah, try. you got to – and plus he doesn't know what a guy – you got to fake outside, come back in, but don't try to make that move once you commit one way and try to come back because it's going to hurt at the end of that <laughs> one. But um, those little things like that I think they'll get better at, though. They'll they'll get a lot – they'll get a lot better at. Um, Buki had, like, a, a decent game. Um, Chance Selby as well. He let a guy get him on the on the jerk route or the in and out route, or however you want to call it, a choice route. I mean, they call it so many different things where the guy came in and then spun off and came back out, and he caught that pass on Selby. So, but they both play pretty good at the nickel position. So they're they're doing they holding their own right now. But like I said, whenever they get somewhere where some people can start scheming them, and you got to adjust. And guys got to start doing things because it's it's coming where they're going to attack Buki on the side. Whenever whatever side he's on, they're going to run the ball at him, and that's what I I would do as an offensive guy. I would bring a guy in close and I would chip on him and block him so my offensive line or my tight end could get him, and then I would go up to the safety. But that's what you have to do whenever they're going they're going to play a smaller guy on the edge like that. But in the pass coverage, he did well. He didn't do bad. He didn't. Uh, bust a lot of coverages or anything like that. So um, I was most concerned about that nickel position, not even the safeties or anything like that. Well, I mean, I'll just ask you this then. Like, how how can OU utilize Buki and not basically have him out there to be a weak to be a weak spot? Because, like you said, an offense can just say, "Well, we've got bigger, you know, we've got big offensive linemen, we've got big tight ends. Let's just 
run in his direction? Like, how does OU, how does Buki avoid that? I mean, is it something as simple as get get low? You can't hide. You can't hide that. I mean, you. I mean, he can come and he can try to knife it or whatever. But then they'll they'll down and come on the outside. Houston had a few plays in there with the counter plays whenever they brought the counter around that they just didn't execute well uh, for the most part because OU's linebacker didn't come back over the top and all that stuff. And they had an extra – they had a gap that was open and a guy just made a play. Um, I don't know how you avoid it because, I mean, God ain't giving them more height. Ain't giving them no, any more size. I mean, he count, he fights his butt off. Now, nah, yeah. don't get me wrong. The kid fights his butt off. He's he had a really good game, and they try to attack him on the edge. Sometimes he did. He held his own. Sometimes he got caught up in it. But for the most part, he he held his own. He held his own in the pass in the passing situation. But we got to figure out something whenever a team figures him out, figures what OU is doing, and that's what I'm concerned about. I'm looking – I'm like Coach Venables. You know, the game's in 24 hours and had it. Now I'm looking at the next opponent and how they're going to try to attack what they're doing. And this is how I would attack it. And I would also attack it to where – because John Michael Terry, you can watch him when they drop in the flats and he's not playing in the run game. He doesn't play run. He just takes off and runs straight to the flats. And he doesn't even worry about anybody. There were a few times on those screens, he was running to the flats, and the, and the dang ball was coming his way. They were running like they was running a counter towards him, and he was running away from it. The receiver had to chase him to block him, and he was running away from the receiver. So I think a little bit more field awareness will be good for him, and um, and that'll help out the secondary also. So whenever he's going out to the flats or something like that, helping him out, that help out the linebackers and it help out the secondary, clean things up for him, but. Overall, the secondary did really well. John, did you did you like what Grinch was doing by throwing a lot of guys out there, especially at the cornerback position? Because we saw, I don't think Parnell, he didn't start, did he? Or he did start? Okay, well, okay. So Jordan Parker is the guy who came in, like, afterwards. And to me, like, I didn't notice them that much other than when they would have to make tackles. I didn't notice them that much. So, I, like, I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we talked about several times, I think, uh, before the season started, and that is – if uh, if the OUDBs are back there on an island on every play and the quarterback has time to survey the field. Which he did not. And find his receivers, the OUDBs are not going to be very improved. The change that we saw in the DBs actually occurred at the front line when OU was living the front, front four, five, six guys whenever they would send uh, an extra couple of blitzers. Those guys were living in the backfield. Derek King did not have time to set up and, and find his receivers. Otherwise, th- we might have seen some of the same things. I thought, they, I thought they played okay. I thought they represented themselves well. But I don't think it was a situation where they dominated the Houston receiving core. In other words, Houston receivers were coming out of their breaks and Derek King, King was running for his life. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, but again, if OU can do that consistently, absolutely, then cool. Everything changes. <laughs> we don't starts up front, right, Rufus? Uh, OU doesn't need Ed Reed and Sean Taylor back <laughs> there. If they can just have normal, average cornerbacks, and if their D line's getting pressure, it doesn't matter. But um, guys, we're thirty minutes into this thing. We haven't talked about everybody's Heisman Trophy winner. I know Jalen Hurts, and I really, it, it's, I, I was surprised. I was very surprised how seamless it looked now I know that there are a lot of things that Jalen has to do better and I know there are a lot of things that Lincoln Riley is probably like Mm -hmm. knocking him on the head like okay this 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 is going to be a process he wasn't just like the defense wasn't going to flip a switch and be great game one Jalen Hurts was not going to be perfect Lincoln Riley Oklahoma quarterback game one but (laughs) good god was that a great starting off point he was I'm going to say this, and here comes a light, bolt of lightning to strike me down. He was better in his first game than Baker was in his first <laughs> game. He was better in his first game than Kyler was in his first game. He was better than every OU quarterback was in their first game since Sam Bradford. Remember that game? Uh, yeah, um, poor North Texas. Was yeah. that 70 to yeah, 79 to 10? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Jalen was fantastic. First of all, let's get the business out of the way. He was Big 12 Player of the Week, and he's the Maxwell Football Award Maxwell National Player of the Week. Pretty damn impressive. All right. So uh, I, I think he was Holly Rose Player of the Week. <laughs> Even though he didn't smile at Holly <laughs> Rose. <laughs> so I want you to go to thefranchiseok.com. That is where I wrote about his exchanges post game with Holly Rose, 
her attempts to try to to try to get you know him out to try to bring him out a little bit. Last night on the show on the franchise drive six to eight p.m. one hundred seven seven. You know you know the drill. <laughs> Uh, I and I, I couched it and I said, guys, it, it, am I wrong? Is this a bad analogy or is this a good analogy? He's like that forty-year-old catfish that sits under the under the the ledge under the water and just you know you dangle your worms out in front of him and you put a lure in front of him and he just sits there and goes, Mm-mm, ain't biting it, I ain't I ain't taking that poison. He called it's it today poison. at the press conference, rat poison. Compliments, he's not about it. Statistics, he's not about it. Uh, smiles, feeling good, talking about himself. He's not about it. He's about winning. That's the number one thing that stands out to me about Jalen Hurts. So go to that. Go to our website, thefranchiseok.com. Read my column. I thought it was pretty clever what I wrote today. So I want you to check it out. Boom. Well, Rufus, you know, I I was excited about Jalen Hurts going into the um, going into the season. I, of course, I was. You know, I, I wasn't saying he's going to be oh he's third Heisman Trophy winner. Oh, he's going to be fine. They're going to go to playoff. I I had some some cautions going into it. I'm um, just watching him at his, in his days at Alabama, assuming that it's going to be a little bit difficult to pick up the offense, even after an entire off season. But you were, you, you were very cautious about it. You, um, you told me on this podcast, um, some things. And I was just really curious, like watching that entire game. The first person I thought of, like when he was just moving down the field with his arm, with his legs was you. And I, I was, I was probably thinking like, wow, Rufus is probably pleasantly surprised. I was just curious what you were thinking watching the game. I was, a, I was surprised by the QB run game. How much how many times it had designed run games for him. Um, they really did. If you look at that game, really kind of simplified that game as well for him, you know, gave CD on a shallow crosser and you see the, the, if the linebacker goes with him, it opens up the back end for you. Guard takes off. Boom. It gave them easy design run games for him to get out of the pocket. I mean, the, the plays of driving the ball down the field. I mean, he missed CD lamb on a wide open flea flicker. He missed, um, uh, he missed Nate Basquin on a long, on a long cover two when Nate Basquin was on top of the safety and he done beat the corners on top of the safety. You, you know, the guys of the past would kind of throw it over their heads and get, let him have all that room to, to get that pass, he missed uh, C.D. Lamb as well on that one roll roll boot that he had. He was open in two of the windows, and he didn't even take the long route. He took the shorter route up in the middle. So those plays of where he drives the ball down the field, there's still going to be teams that's going to play him a lot closer than what uh, this team played and make those routes a little bit harder. So I, I want to see him maybe complete more of the down-the-field passes because there wasn't very many of those that were completed. I think, what, one or two as far as, like, 30, 40 yard passes that we used to seeing or whatever. Yeah. Um, see, I mean, Charleston Rambo took one on a slant and took it pretty much almost house. But there's one throw that I really loved whenever he escaped to the left and he threw it to A.D. Miller on the sideline. You kind of like that. It was on the run, on the move. It was accurate, too. Very accurate pass. Um, he threw the ball. I mean, he threw the he throws them sideways pass. He threw that on time because he's done it in his sleep. But – I just was surprised at how Lincoln Riley used him. Lincoln Riley is a genius at what he does because that power run, that power run quarterback fake roll up and pass. That's like the half roll with Kyler Murray, but now you can do it with a serious QB power type situation. Look, and they he, have another running back back there. Yeah, so he tweaked it a little bit, made everybody suck up, and he throws it right back across. That's the pretty much the half roll. Um, the half roll with um, what's, who is it? Hollywood Brown going all the way across the field the other way. Now he just puts it up in the middle because he's not accurate going far. So I'm gonna put him in the middle where it gives him an easier target to hit. I mean, he, he does really cool things like that in his offense. And you go, and like I went back and I re I re looked at this tape and saw him. I mean, he did some creative stuff. Coach Riley is a. a I mean. He did that one, the, the QB counter back the other way where he kind of stepped and took like he was going to go through the pass sideways, and he snuck it up and went up in the hole and had all the guys there. If the offensive linemen block up their guys a little bit cleaner, they're gonna be, there's going to be even bigger yards to gain. But the offense has changed. It's changed a lot. It's heavier QB run game. It's getting that they it's getting that extra guy where they don't have anybody a man for. And Lincoln Riley is – smart and doing that and he's working 
uh, he's working Jalen Hurts into the passing game and him getting comfortable with throwing things. Because if you go back to Kyler Murray, his first game, I mean, if he had to throw an out route, he threw them all high. His first game, every route, ever, just about every out route he threw was really high and, and up in the stands. And then he kind of, as he got better, he threw him more and more down and was more on the money. So I think this is how Jalen Hurts is going to get his way into working into the offense. I agree with 100% of everything he just said, including the Lincoln Riley part. I was weird that you said genius because I was sitting in the press conference today listening to his answers, and I, the thought occurred to me, I wonder what his IQ is. He's, he's just really smart, uh, and he's smart about a lot of things, uh, mostly about coaching quarterbacks and, and designing offenses because that play you're talking about, guys, it looked like a, a halfback pass. It looked like a straight – like here the sprint, you know, Boom, it's a sweep. I'm going to sweep. I'm going to sweep. And then he just pulls up and says, whoop. It was the quarterback equivalent of a halfback pass. They did that last uh, – Two mics again. <laughs> they uh, they did that last year in the Big 12 title game. That was the that was the play that really sprung the offense. Kyler Murray just basically got the ball sprinted to the right and put the ball in his in his arm like he was running with it. And then he just, at the last second, pulled the, pulled the ball back and then threw it to a wide-open C.D. Lamb, and it was like a 50, 55-yard play, and that got the offense going. But, I mean, it was good to see that because I love that play. Right, yeah. And then I wanted to make two quick points about how advanced Jalen is as a quarterback, as a college football quarterback. Um, you saw him look at the statistics. It's easy to see. He used 10 different receivers. Remember the what we said in the in the preseason? Well, I don't know if he's going to be able to grasp Lincoln Riley's offense this quickly. Guy used 10 different receivers. He threw it to everybody at every position at every spot on the field. And he clearly he's an advanced quarterback. He threw a lot of passes at Alabama, but to step into a new offense and have that kind of command, very impressive. The other part, we know he's athletic, we know he's strong, we know he's a runner. Okay, he's like a tailback with an arm, right? The fact that the left side of the line collapsed about four times, and he sensed that. One time I think he actually looked over there and said, you know, and got the hell out. The other times I think he sensed the pressure coming, heard it. You know, maybe there was a, a red alert or something like that from the lineman who got beat or whatever it was. And he, he got sacked a grand total of zero times. In other words, he kept his – he made up for the, the lack of blocking on one side of the line – which Lincoln Riley in, in a roundabout, gentle way kind of called out today. said the right side was good. Creed Humphrey was good. Uh, uh, the, the, the guard was good, but he, he didn't – he came back later and said the tackles played good. He kind of realized. But I think his pocket presence, Jalen's pocket presence and his ability to sense what's happening on the field and get the team out of trouble, he made a positive play every time. One time I think he threw it away. The other three times were either completions or scrambles. That's damn impressive, guys. For your first game as a Sooner in, in this crowd, in this environment, damn impressive. You know, and it's really good because I never – I didn't see this part of the offense in practice. Like, this is, like, really just legitimately worked into – when I tell you this, man, like, Lincoln Riley is smart, I've been to, like, five or six practices, and I'd never seen this part of practice to where he's running an offense like that. And you'd be like, you know what? He's going to be all right. <laughs> all you've seen was the typical spread out, shoot, throw it and all that stuff and see how you make your passes and your touches and your read and stuff. And I, I think I like the way he does it. Uh, as far as when I choose my guy, I'm going to pick some things that's good with him and I'm going to fit it in with my offensive line and pick a few passes that he likes and we're going to build on it. And that's pretty much kind of how he does it. And I'm telling you this, man – when I when I watch him when I watch that first that play whenever he snuck out the back door as in the, um, when the quarterback read like looked like he was gonna throw the pass and then like step and then ran on that QB count I'm like yeah that's kind of that's pretty impressive man and then the 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 one where the the guard goes up and blocks in the outfield um, once he sees the, once he makes that read off of that linebacker and he goes that way and he takes out the back end I mean that's pretty saying, well, I can use him different than I use Kyler Murray, and he understands that. But as far as the offensive line goes. Very sophisticated, very nuanced. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll hurt. That'll keep some coaches up at night watching this. <laughs> it's going to keep a lot of coaches up. I mean, across the country that's going to be able to end up playing Oklahoma, they're going to be up at night. But the Swenson and Proctor are going to have to figure out the left side. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I think Marquise Hayes played, played pretty decent. Lincoln Riley highlighted that. He said yeah. that Hayes played he, well today as well. 
Yeah, he played decent, but the right side, Ely. I mean, I think Adrian Ely. He he pretty much stabilizes that right side because you really don't have to worry about that pressure coming off of you on the right side. And the left side usually gets a lot of attention because that's where your best pass rusher is coming from is the left side anyway. But I think Beanbo is gone. I mean, you may see Felix the next game uh, for sure. Oh, you'll probably see quite a few. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But I mean. Swenson, I didn't realize Swenson had been injured in the in training camp. He'd yeah, been kind of hampered and unable to develop as a first year starter. So that's why Proctor was in there to start the game. Right. Uh, but clearly his his advancement as a first time guy was was slowed down. He's supposed to be better than that. Yeah, he's supposed to be better than that. But hey, he didn't play better than that. Don't go out and feel hurt if you can't <laughs> play. That's all I'm gonna say. If your development got slowed down, be like, hey, coach, I ain't got it today or something because he didn't have it and it showed there on the field. And that's where you can look at Lincoln Riley. He's like, man, my left side of the line has to be better. But once they, I think they're going to fix it. Um, I mean, you had that whole situation with Alvarez and Creed Humphreys in the beginning. Uh, Beanbo is really good at getting the, having a good pulse on his offensive line. By the time they get to UCLA, you'll have a good pulse of what they're going to be and who they're going to be, and they'll be better on the left side. And I don't mean to cut this podcast short, but John's got to he's got to get out of here and go do some OU interviews around 525. It's 505 right now, so I need to, we need to get him out of here. But I did want to highlight something because, um, John, um, I asked you on the, the two podcasts ago, I can't remember, and I didn't prep you for it. Uh, Rufus wasn't on that particular episode, but um, it kind of reared its ugly head in this game. Uh-oh. Who was going to kick for this yeah. team? And, hey, I'll, I'll tell you this. They weren't terrible. <laughs> They weren't terrible misses. I mean, if you're going to miss, at least he had the leg. It, yeah, seemed, the like, it seemed like he had the leg. And Lincoln Riley, um, and I don't know how much stock we can put into Lincoln Riley taking the blame for it because yeah. I think he took the blame every time uh, Cybert missed a, a clutch field goal, particularly mm-hmm. take another shot, the Army game. Um, I think he took the blame for that as well. Uh, Lincoln Riley took the blame. How do you take blame for a kicker missing? But that's, that's what I said. That's exactly yeah. the kick. The coach's job is to make that decision. Yeah. Do we try a field goal here or do we try something else? The kicker's job is to make that field goal. Yeah. I mean, you know, shout out to Lincoln Riley for for you know. Being, I mean, being that guy, uh, but at the same time, kicker's got to kick. That's what he's there for. Um, I tweeted out during the game. I, I've always wanted Lincoln Riley to kind of adopt a, a more aggressive. Uh, play calling mentality on fourth down and maybe this will force his <laughs> hand to do so now if, if it's out of the question the, yeah punt it away of course uh, but inside 40 like eh, you know you gotta be able a to little trust, bit outside, trust those guys but here I'll just say this with South Dakota coming up um, yes oh you should score a lot of, they should score a lot of touchdowns but if for some reason the offense stalls like if someone drops a few passes um, they should really take the opportunity to kick as many field goals as, po- as possible. This Saturday is kicking practice. And Lincoln should so, – Lincoln. So you're saying they get at the 30, it's second down, be like, you kick, know what? Just kick hey, it. We're go ahead and kick it at <laughs> second down or whatever. And then Lincoln Riley needs to, like, turn to the crowd and just say, get loud. Like, <laughs> pretending this is a hostile environment. This is practice. Um, no. Um, look, OU's offense is – they're really good. Jalen Hurts is more than likely going to improve upon all these things that Rufus highlighted, that you highlighted, John, um, that everyone's kind of seen in the, the last 48 hours in film, um, missing some throws here and there, uh, taking off maybe a little too early. Who knows? He's going to improve on some things because Kyler did the same thing mm-hmm. last year. Baker Mayfield, even in his second year, it, um, that year oh, you lost to Houston and Ohio State, Baker Mayfield was not his standard, and then he got better as the season uh, progressed. So Jalen's going to get better, but this kicking thing, You'd hate to see a team that ha- looks to, that has the appearances of an improving defense with a with a really good standard from its defensive coordinator with a seamless transition from Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. Apparently, on offense, you would hate to see this team be derailed because they simply can't kick Man, a field goal. There's got to be an Achilles heel somewhere, right? Uh, it's got to be a weak link somewhere. Did Clemson have a li- weak link? Has Alabama had a? Alabama's w- been terrible at kicking well, for ten Alabama years. Alabama can't kick field goals either. That's right. So it hasn't <laughs> hasn't slowed them down. Uh, all you got to do is beat people at the line of scrimmage and run past them, and you'll be fine. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Rufus, any final thoughts from the Houston game at all? It just uh, it doesn't have to be anything particular, defense, offense, just overall. Is that is that what you wanted to see out of the first game? Um, I mean, overall, yes, please. I mean, all you want to see was improvement, and that's what you got. You got improvement on the defensive side of the ball. You got one of the best statistical quarterback performances out of a quarterback. I think he's – 
under I think Thomas Lott is the one that had more yards than him rushing in the game. So which good stat find, John? I believe that was you. Yeah. Um, so um, the, the, a lot of different things that happened that was really good. I mean, you had like a two year of OU's defense being, or maybe more years than that of OU's defense being bad. Um, it was they're very talented. They have a lot of talented kids on here. So I mean, um, I think Grinch is the right guy for the job, and he's done a great job. He's done he's done a masterful job of. Get understanding the pulse of his team and also getting these kids prepared and the belief. They lost belief in what they were doing before, and so it showed on the field. And I think he just – this coaching staff is put together really well. I think Odom, Manning, and Grinch, and Calvin Thibodeau, they all fit really well together. And I think Ruffin McNeil is kind of that, 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 that guy that keeps them kind of all together, you know. But – the guys they have there, they mesh so well together, and the people, fans, don't know how important it is to have a good collective group that works well together and love love coaching together, and both are fiery and have the same and going towards the same goal that you're going to. Well, yes, everybody, uh, thank you for listening to this edition of the Inside OU Podcast. Uh, once again, if you guys are living under a rock, OU won 49-31. It really was never that close, though. But uh, like I said, we've got to cut this one a little bit short. John's got to head back to OU to go talk to, was it defensive players, coaches? All players. All players. Uh, Boom, one David. Oh, yeah, short week. Another short week. Lincoln Riley's going to lose some sleep, like he said, at the press conference. But uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. Please rate and review and all that good stuff, and we will greatly appreciate it. Thank you to everybody watching on the video on John Hoover's YouTube page. So if you want to watch us talk, um, you can go subscribe to John Hoover's uh, Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays um, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. On 107.7 uh, The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. All good stuff. Follow him um, on yeah, Twitter at so Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.